What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the queue. It is season four, episode six, and I just want to say happy Pride Month to all community members who are listening. If you are not out currently and you're feeling, you know, not included enough because of that, don't. You know, your coming out process happens on your own time, on your own terms, and whenever you are ready to do that, we will be here for you. So, welcome to the family. Happy Pride Month. Pride is for you also. If you are an ally listening, just listen this month. Listen to your friends, your families, your colleagues, whoever it might be that's in the community. Just listen to them. So all we want you guys to do is listen to us because we know our experiences. So, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. And as always, be respectful. everybody we are jumping right in so this episode is all about the alphabet mafia or the lgbtq plus community um the term alphabet mafia came from tiktok or at least that's where i first heard it was on tiktok and ever since i've heard it i'm like oh my god this is what we're calling this now (laughs) this is so cool like this is such an innovative term to use for the community so I, I like it. I like it. So that's what this that's what this episode is about. That's the title of this episode. And it's going to be very informative for anyone who knows little to nothing about the community. Um, but I do want to insert this caveat that I do not speak for everyone in the community. I only speak for myself and my experiences and my journey so far. So please do not take my opinions or my words um, about the community to be gospel because they are not. So, okay, who's in this alphabet mafia, right? Who are we? We are a marginalized group, which basically just means that there is, you know, we've had to overcome oppression of all various kinds. And, you know, the, the kind of acronym of the group kind of tells you, you know, who some of us are. So the LGBTQ, which are the main ones that you tend to hear about, are the acronyms. And so L is for lesbian, G is for gay, B is for bisexual, T is for trans, and Q um, is for queer and are questioning. I've seen Q used in a couple different ways. And then there's a plus. But basically what it is is it is a grouping of people that have non-heteronormative sexual orientations, um, except for T, which is a gender thing. And Q can mean a variety of those things. But typically, when we think about the quote-unquote gay community or the LGBTQ community, um, Mostly everyone's minds goes to lesbian, gay, or bisexual. 
which is really just a grouping of sexual orientations. Um, now, there's a plus, you know, after that, and, and we'll talk about, you know, what the plus means, because I know a lot of people are like, plus, what else is there? You know, what's going on? Um, but generally, when people think about the community, they think about the sexual orientations. Now, Pride began, you know, for a little history lesson here, Pride began with a riot. So there was a riot in June of 1969 called the Stonewall Riot that kind of sparked what Pride is today. Um, and so that riot happened in 1969, and then the very first Pride March was kind of like commemorated and started uh, the following June in 1970. And so, you know, this idea of Pride beginning with a riot kind of creates this atmosphere that you don't always see. Um, you, you see it, but unless you're a part of the community, you really don't kind of get that firsthand knowledge of it. And so the Pride March itself, just like the riot, was a form of activism. And it was a way to, you know, express that there was inequality happening within the community and that the community was being oppressed. And so Pride March, I believe, was intended to be, you know, an extension of that activism that started with the riot. It was intended to be another form of the community saying, you know, we're here and we're people and, you know, we deserve equal rights across the board. Um, so it was just another way for people to kind of fight back, um, but maybe on a more uh, nonviolent scale. And and I'm not saying that the riot was problematic at all because, you know, trans people were being brutalized, people in the community were being brutalized, and if they needed to fight their way out, then by all means, you know, defend yourself. Um, now, uh, I've never been to a Pride March, unfortunately. Um, I've only been out for a little bit, so... I haven't had the opportunity because of COVID, um, but I do hope that this year I will get the opportunity to go to some Pride events at least, even if no one's holding an official like Pride March in my area. Um, I would like to be able to go to some sort of Pride event this year, just to kind of like commemorate things for myself. Um, now onto the plus. What else is there, right? Um, most people, again, when they hear LGBTQ, uh, that, that's all they think about. They don't think about anything else. Um, and so while, you know, except for the T, while all of the other labels and identifiers are based around sexual orientation, the queer community, which I'm going to be using that term as just a blanket term for everyone, um, because to say the letters each time is just too long, <laughs> but the queer community... Um, in general, includes a lot more than people who have different sexual orientations. So there's gender identifiers, like agender or non-binary. Um, there's gender expression identifiers, uh, which would be something like androgynous. There is romantic orientations, which is based on the split attraction model, which I will be talking about in a later episode, and, you know, a bunch of other identifiers as well. And so... What I don't want people to do is to hear the term LGBTQ 
and think that that's all there is to it, that somebody has to be lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, or identify as queer to be part of the community. Um, there's so much more that goes into that. Um, and there's all different types of people that are included in the community. Now, the the main other ones are just, are, so sometimes the acronym is extended a little bit and it's seen as LGBTQIA+. Um, and so the I would stand for intersex and these are people who have a combination of male or female characteristics um, in a various in various forms of combinations. Um, it could be, you know, genitalia, it could be physical characteristics, it could be other things. It could be a variety of things. Um, the A stands for asexual, which is my community. Um, it can also stand for aromantic, and it can also stand for agender. Um, it does not stand for ally. I know a lot of people like to think that, they like to put it in there to be inclusive, and I, I agree that the community should be inclusive, but if you're an ally, you're an ally. You don't need, you're not, not that you're not a part of the community because we want allies to be a part of the community, but as far as the representation goes, that space needs to be reserved for community members um, more so than allies because allies may not face the same level of oppression or discrimination that people in the community do and so all of the spaces that are created for queer people should be first and foremost for queer people strictly um if you support us you support us you know you shouldn't need a platform to do that you should just support us um if that's what you're going to do so yeah, so there's all different types of things. Um, so if you don't know what agender and non-binary and androgynous and all of that means, Google is a lovely resource. Um, I want people to kind of get into the habit of doing their own research and understanding that it's okay to question things. It's okay to look things up. It's okay to, you know, search out information on your own. You know, you should never take what someone is telling you as gospel. If you really want to understand something, um, it's always better to look it up for yourself. Um, so, and I try to give brief overviews of things here on the podcast so that people don't take what I say as gospel. They, they really only get a surface level um, experience so that they can go and research on their own and look up other stuff if they have more questions. Now, you know, I'm just going to go through um, a little bit of each uh, acronym thing and just kind of talk about it a little bit, again, in a very brief format, um, just in case people really just don't know, they've never been exposed to this before, or maybe you're a questioning person and you're not exactly sure and you're trying to figure it out. So, lesbians are people who are attracted to women. They're not the only people attracted to women. Um... But generally, that's the identifier that they use. And I've seen some conversation recently about how, you know, lesbians or people who identify as lesbians can also date men. Um, that doesn't make them any less of a lesbian. And although I didn't get the full spectrum of that conversation, I didn't get a chance to read through it all. Um, I do want to point out that there is truth to that you know there's 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 a validness to that 
um, and whatever reason that people who identify one way and possibly behave another, um, that doesn't make them any less valid in the community, which is also another point to be made. Um, like I said, that plus piece of the acronym in the community, it includes a whole list of other things that would quote unquote qualify someone to be a part of the community. And to me, in the queer community, it's pretty much anything that's non-heteronormative, which basically just means that it's anything that does not uh, fit into the cisgender heterosexual box. Um, and if you if cisgender just means um, you identify with the gender you were given at birth, um, and, and that's another term as well. Um, A-G-A-B, um, it just means assigned gender at birth. I've seen some discourse about that being used as well in certain contexts, but that's what cis means. It just means that you don't experience any gender dysphoria, um, which is just a fancy way of saying you don't experience any conflict about your gender. Um, so yeah, so that's lesbians. G obviously is for gay. Um, it is for men who are attracted to other men. Again, they're, you know, the, they're not the only group of people who can be attracted to men, um, but generally they are the primary group that is attracted to other men. Um, B is for bisexual. Uh, bisexual people are people who are attracted to uh, two or more genders. So based on, you know, the, the base definition of the term, bisexual, um, they are attracted to both women and men. That does not mean that they are, or that they can't be attracted to more than two genders. It just means that primarily they are attracted to both women and men, or people who identify as women and men. Um, now, there are some, you know, the bisexual people get a lot of the hate uh, because people they can pass a little bit easier than everyone else and so if they're in a passing relationship which basically looks like a heteronormative relationship but it's not um so for example if you had a bisexual female who was dating a male at the time um somebody might mistake them for a typical heterosexual couple and that would not be the case because the woman would identify as bisexual or vice versa. The man could identify as bisexual and he just happens to be dating a woman at the time. Um, they they get a lot of hate for this idea of passing. Um, and it basically just means they have a certain level of privilege within uh, regular society. And, you know, they get a lot of hate because of that, because it... it it, they may have the opportunity to stave off some of the conflicts that other people in the community don't get because they can't pass as easily. Um, again, that does not make them any less valid because they are able to pass and people within the community should not give them a hard time about that. Um, you know, you can't help who you love. Love is love is love. And so if they happen to be in a passing relationship and they're happy, let them be. Um, it's, it's not rocket science, people. If people are happy and they're not bothering anybody else and they're not hurting anybody else, leave them alone. Um, it's that simple. Uh, now the T stands for the trans community, um, transgender. And so these are people who are 
assigned a gender at birth, um, but they feel like they are a different gender. Um, now, there's been a lot of discourse with this as well because there's been more talk about children um, and, and how soon children can identify and what that means. And um, a part of that is how soon children can decide to have uh, gender surgery to fit their correct gender um some people you know allow their kids to identify below the age of 10 some people don't um i think medically uh there is there is an age i'm not sure what it is um but i believe medically in order to have the surgery done you have to be of a certain age um and you have to go through all these hoops to even kind of get to that point if you are below the age of 18 if you're above the age of 18, I think the hoops are a little bit less complicated, but they're still complicated and they're still hoops. Um, and I think, you know, the the dumbness that I've heard is that, oh, well, what if they regret it and they want to go back? Okay, people get cosmetic surgery every day. Um, like... You know, nobody says anything when somebody wants to go from an A cup to a D cup. And if they start to regret that because they're having, you know, immense back pain or something, they can very easily go back down to an A cup or go to a smaller cup. It's, to me, it's a similar, it's a similar situation. Um, if somebody wants to go from male to female and then they end up regretting that decision, then... You know, I understand that certain things can't be changed back, but the stuff that can, should. Like, you know, um, but I get it. It's a really big life decision, and, you know, it, it is... It, while it can be life-affirming, it, it can be life-changing, and the, the way that that person has experienced themselves and the way that other people have experienced that person can be drastically different um, from one side to the next. And so, you know, if you, if you feel like, you know, that's something that you're looking into, I would definitely say go through all of your channels first, go through all of your options. So really make sure that within yourself, that's what you want to do. Really make sure that, you know, you're gonna have the support that you need to do that find a very good doctor because I know that there are a lot of doctors who may not be willing to do those things and you know the ones that are you know I don't know they, they may charge a lot of money for that I'm not sure um how that process looks exactly because that hasn't been my experience but you know like I said in the beginning of this episode if there are people who identify as trans and they're trying to you know tell you their experience listen to them because they know they live it every day um, and so they would be, you know, they would be in the best position to tell you what living like that is like. And if gender reassignment surgery is a part of their experience, listen to that. Um, now, I, I have watched a video or two um, on YouTube, I believe, of someone's personal account of regretting their gender surgery. But from what they were explaining, it seemed like they hadn't kind of gone through their entire questioning period first. 
like they they felt like they were you know they felt like they were trans at the time and the surgery was what they wanted and they wanted to live life um as a certain gender when they made the decision and then after the surgery happened they they did have different feelings um and that's okay you know people are allowed to change their minds i don't know why people who do uh you know say that the surgery wasn't a great thing for them in the end i don't know why those people get vilified because people are allowed to change their minds um it's the same thing with weight loss surgery a lot of weight loss places require you to get a psyche valve or some sort of psych consult um before they do that be and they do it because you can live your life a certain way for so long and then when it changes something is drastic i don't think weight is you know that that drastic as far as like how they make it out to be how the system makes it out to be but you know if you've lived your life let's say at 400 pounds for a number of years and then all of a sudden you're you know you're 150 that may take a toll um on on how you perceive yourself it may take a toll on how you you know behave to a certain degree and and this that and the third um and basically i think the premise behind it is that it's this it's a major life change in the fact that it's changing your physical appearance so drastically um that even if somebody was experiencing distress looking in the mirror before, um, at least it was the same thing. Like they could, you know, not the same thing, but they could like, they knew that that's what they were going to see when they looked in the mirror versus if you wake up one day, you see one thing in the mirror, you wake up the next day and you see something completely different. Um, that can be jarring for some people. Um, and, and I don't quite know the logic behind it. I don't quite know the the science behind what happens with the brain when there's that large of a shift in physical appearance for someone. But it makes me think of the movies Face Off. And um, there was an episode of Grey's Anatomy where uh, a patient had got cosmetic surgery because they had severe, severe burns. Um, and they basically had to make a new face for themselves. Um, and, and at the end of this episode, she created a new face for herself. The plastic surgeon was able to successfully do that. And then her whole, like, she created a whole new, like, personality based on this new face. Um, and so, psychologically, I think that there is some merit to, you know, what people see in the mirror and how they, how they perceive themselves and, and what happens when that changes so drastically. But at the same time, people are still allowed to change their minds. Um, and so, you know, it's, you know, it's one of those things where, again, I think people just need to be listened to if they're saying that it's something they want. Like, the reason why we have all the medical forums that say, hey, there's a risk here for X, Y, Z, um, is so that people read them. And when people, you know, even for regular surgery, you have a form that says, hey, if anything goes wrong, the hospital is not liable because you chose to have the surgery and you, you were aware of the risk. And so the, I'm sure those same forms, if not more, get filled out for someone who has gender surgery. And so I'm sure they understand the risk. I'm sure they understand what they're doing, how it may change their life. They may not understand it completely because, you know, if you've lived life 
as a male your whole life and, and now you're living life as a female, of course there are going to be things that are different that you just can't account for beforehand. Um, but that's why, you know, they suggest that someone has therapy before they do this process. They, you know, they have some sort of support system in place so that as the changes happen, as, you know, the perceptions kind of flip over to, to the other side, they have support in dealing with those things. Um, but again, you know, people are aware of what they're doing. And if they sign the form, then they understand. Now, the discourse about children doing this um, is, is probably the idea of whether or not they can fully understand what that means. Um, you know, that once they sign this form, that means that their life as they knew it is, is now gone. Um, and I, and I, the other, the other part to that discourse is if it is a child under the age of 17, if a parent consents for their child to have gender reassignment surgery, what does that mean? If the child does not like the surgery afterwards and and wants to go back. Um, and I think for children, it it should be an e, it should be an even easier process, I think, because if, you know, again, I will state I understand not all things can be changed back, but at the same time, as far as hormones, um, a lot of people start with hormone replacement therapy, and so you can always just give someone the other hormones. Um, I mean, we all have estrogen and uh, like small levels of, well, females have small levels of testosterone and progesterone and all that stuff. Um, so we all have the same hormones, it's just a matter of how much. And so if you're, you know, if you're a male to female and you start taking estrogen before the surgery, um, and and you, you know, you have the surgery and, and, and you continue on with that, that's great. But if you, I feel like the hormone replacement therapy is kind of like a precursor to, maybe how some of that works or it it could be a precursor so like almost like a in a weird way like a trial period like if you're if you're male to female and you start taking estrogen you kind of depending on how long you're doing that before the surgery part you kind of already know you know what what hormonally anyway you kind of already know what your bodily changes are going to be um as far as the social aspect if you are presenting as female prior to surgery and you're you're uh dressing as female you know you're wearing makeup and things like that and your hair's different you can kind of gauge you know what what the societal response is going to be not that that should matter because who you are is who you are and however you feel comfortable to be 100% you is valid um and, and nobody else's opinion should matter in that it's it's yours and yours alone um but you can kind of, some people do have that question, you know, well, I, I, some people understand that going from male to female can be a very big, uh, perception shift as far as most males are privileged in the fact that they are males. Forget any other identifier, they may come along, you know, they may have a touch to them, but being male has a certain level of privilege. And so, you know, when you do switch over, you know, you lose some of that. Um, and so, you know, the, uh, this idea of, well, what happens after surgery 
is probably a big question for a lot of people in the community. And like I said, that's not been my experience. So I don't have those answers. I would never claim to have those answers, even if that was my experience, because I understand that everybody is different and everybody's going to have their own experience of what that is like for them. Um, but I think that in general, going to like the evolution of pride at this point, you know, specifically with the trans community, there's all these anti-trans bills now, um, more specifically for youth. Um, or there's, there's been a couple that have been targeted at youth um, and others targeted at, at just trans people in general. And I think the biggest discourse of all has is, is been this bathroom, you know, this bathroom conflict. And <laughs> I remember seeing, I think it was on Twitter, I remember seeing somebody um, point out, they were just like, so you guys do realize that you have, you know, all-inclusive bathrooms in your homes, right? Like, anybody can use the bathroom in your home, it doesn't matter. And I had never seen someone point that out before, like, I can't, you, it's one of those things that you kind of know, like, it's your everyday living, so you, you know, but you don't know type of thing, like, you don't recognize it all the time, and that, that pretty, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, if you have people over to your house, whether or not you know they're trans or whatever, if they need to use the bathroom, you just let them use the fucking bathroom. I don't know why there's such a discourse, you know, in public spaces where it's like, oh, men's bathroom and women's bathroom. We all use the fucking toilet the same way, guys. Like, we really do. I don't, I don't understand, you know, why there's... I, I don't get it. Um, I, I understand, like, those, you know, cheap shots that people take. Well, we don't want, you know, we don't want grown males in, in the bathroom, you know, with our, our preteen daughters or whatever. And I'm like, okay, fine, fine, valid. But if you're sending, you know, if you're sending a child under the age of like eight into the bathroom by themselves, you need to reevaluate your parenting skills. Um, especially if you know it's a bathroom where it's gender neutral. Um, and I mean that from a point of safety. Like, if you know that they're, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's a, it's a weird thing. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, forget the fact that it's a, it's a female child. You wouldn't send any child in a bathroom by themselves. One, because they're children. They're going to play in the water. They're going to mess up the toilet paper. Like, it, it has nothing to do with, like, their sex or, or anything like that. It's just kids being kids they're not going to go in the bathroom and do what they need to do they're going to play um so you need like up to a certain age they're going to want to play so you need to go in the bathroom with them anyway uh, at the time that they can go in the bathroom by themselves you kind of still need to do the did you wash your hands thing for most kids because most kids don't like you're just <coughs> excuse me so like you just gotta I don't know. I don't know. The whole, the whole, like, you know, we don't want grown men in the bathroom with our kids thing. It's like, okay, what about male kids? Like, I wouldn't want a grown man in the, in the, in the bathroom with my, you know, five-year-old son either. Like, it's not just about male-female stuff. It's about just people are, people are different today um, than they might have been in the past. And, but again, we all use the toilet the same way. We all use the toilet the same way. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what else to tell you about that. Um, we, we, I'm sorry. We just don't. 
we just don't and i've done it before you know i i've i've if the bathroom for the women's bathroom in certain places have been has been too long i will go in the men's bathroom like it's still a toilet like and i need to go and i'm not gonna wait hours you know or some crazy crap like that to to go to the bathroom it's a bathroom um now it's usually been like smaller restaurants where they only have like one you know they only have like the one bathroom or like the one stall and like only one person can go in at a time type of thing but it's a bathroom if i have to go i'm going otherwise i'm gonna what where else am i supposed to go do you want me to piss on the floor like (laughs) like i just i don't know it's one of those things um but yeah there's all these anti-trans bills um that have been coming up in all over the country and and it's horrible. A lot of them are just unheard of. You know, sometimes they just kind of pop up and people are like, oh my God, this was passed. Who passed this? What? We didn't even know that this was going on type of thing. Um, and so, you know, if you are looking for some activism opportunities, um, you can definitely write to your local representatives. You can probably email. Um, you know, you can organize uh, protests and things like that to your local congress to you know drop these bills um and that sort of thing or to not pass them in the first place if they're still kind of voting um in your particular location so yeah um evolutionary pride is is something that you know pride has changed so much since you know when it was first started and I've been seeing this a lot as well with the rainbow washing argument. Um, And I feel like this is something that happens with everything, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's rainbow stuff, whether it like any kind of movement or, or, you know, any sort of pride thing, no matter what kind of pride it is, um any movement capitalism seems to kind of you know capitalize on and and they monopolize it for themselves um it is a problem obviously but i don't know how much we can do there for that one i mean obviously we cannot support those businesses you know which would make them feel the heat but i think the scale at which we would have to do that for certain places we're not that we're not as organized uh, as as a as a community as a community we're definitely we're we're definitely that organized on a larger scale though like as a global community we're not that organized um so i don't i don't know how how effective things like boycotting will be on a global scale if if the global market is what needs to crash for these companies to understand they can't just do performative uh they, they, they can't just have performative behaviors um and, and that goes to you know activism in general if you're going to support a cause whatever the cause might be you need to be genuine about it you need to be sincere about it and not just be performative um because there's plenty of people that are performative with the pride community and you know they say they support lgbtq anything and then when you know when shit hits the fan they're nowhere to be found and so, you know, you need to be 
front and center with your activism if that's what you're going to do with your support if you're going to support us then support us regardless there can't be any buts there can't be any ifs there can't be any you know there can't be any conditions to your support for it to be genuine um like there's like even in families you know there are people who are like oh i have you know i have a a queer relative or whatever but like anytime they're around another queer person there's you can tell they're visibly uncomfortable and it's like well what happened you have a queer relative remember and and they're like oh but but i know them and and i know their queerness and i know what that looks like and anything else contrary is too much and it's like well then you're not really supportive of them either you're you know you now you're picking and choosing you know who you want to be supportive of and, and that's not okay either so you know um something else that i wanted to talk about in this discourse of you know what's included in pride and, and who's in the community as i've seen a lot of conversation about kink at pride and I, I don't quite know how I feel about it. And, I, and I, I say that because I think the people who are talking about uh, kink not being included at Pride are the people who are not a part of the kink community. <laughs> and so they don't know, they don't know what kink actually is in order for them to be against it. Um, and again, like I stated before, you know, people have their biases they have their preconceived notions you know they, they may have a common thought process about what kink is but if you're not in the community there are just certain things that if you're not a part of the community you don't understand um it's the same thing with me being black there are certain things that as a black person i get that no other ethnicity will ever understand because they're not black it's just a thing um, and, and I think the kink community is the same exact way. If you're not a part of it, if you don't have an, exp an experience there, you just won't understand. And so a lot of the conversations have been, you know, kink shouldn't be a lot of pride because pride is family friendly. And, and then that leads to the question, many people were asking the question, well, what do you think kinky people are doing at pride? Or what do you think that they would want to do at pride? You know, um... And then I love the people who point out that the Ren Fairs are incredibly, you know, kinkish. <laughs> um, and that at Ren Fairs, you can see some pretty out-of-the-box things. Um, and it's a Ren Fair, which is, I believe, usually purported as family-friendly also. Um, but there are things at a Ren Fair that you may not see on a typical basis. And so, should children be allowed at Ren Fairs type of thing, you know? Um... Which is interesting because a lot of the, a lot of the medieval uh, elements can be, maybe not inherently kinky, but they can be used for a variety of, uh, in a variety of ways. But anyways, so yeah, so this idea of kink at pride, and, and I, I think a lot of people, because of their, again, going back to this idea of heteronormativity, because people are so... Uh, ingrained in their minds that sex, romance, intimacy, um, anything outside of the normal man-woman relationship is just, you know, 
all of it is just this, you know, it's it's bad sex type of behavior. Um, people often people often equate kink with sex, and that's not true. Kink is not inherently sexual, and sex is not always inherently kinky. So, I, I think it's hard for people to separate those ideas, though, because they've the way that we are. Um, I'm going to use the word indoctrinated. Um, because that's how deep it goes and, and it is very hard to get someone out of an indoctrinated mindset but um the way that we have been taught to perceive things that are sexual or things that are uh, or have a level of physical intimacy it, it seems to always mesh with sex and so if you're if you're having physical intimacy you're assumed to be having sexual contact of some sort and that's not always true um and especially when the idea of intimacy in general um intimacy is not always sexual um and and sex is possibly not always intimate for some people um and there's so many other you know varieties of of how people can think about that but this idea that something that is sexual is embedded in everything that is intimacy related or closeness related or romantically related um is just the natural discourse of what we've been taught but it's it's not true um things things can be separated for for people groups communities that sort of thing but i think because people are so focused on the fact that if you ask somebody hey are you kinky you know are you a closet freak or whatever you want to say people automatically think you're talking about sex uh, but that's that's not always what that means that can mean a variety of different things if you if you ask the right person you know they may give you some answers that have nothing to do with sex and you're like wait no i was talking about sex and they're like oh well i wasn't you know um and so it really, it depends on who you ask and what their belief is about whether or not those two things uh, are, are equal to each other. And my argument is that a lot of people in the kink community, myself included, do not inherently do sexual things with their kink. So, you know, the idea of kink being at pride is completely valid. It needs to be at pride um there are kinky people who are part of the queer community and so why would we exclude those people just because they prefer to you know express their kink in a particular type of way does not mean that they should be excluded from an event that also coincides with how they identify um because that's all it is you know being being kinky is another identifier um, it's a, it's another community. It's a separate way of living, so to speak. Um, and that's the that's the other that's the other piece of it too. You know, being kinky or being a part of the BDSM community that is a lifestyle. Uh, all of the all of the other career identifiers are inherent. They are, you know, identities. They are orientations. They're genders. You know, they can't be changed. Um, or not that they can't be changed, but they can't be chosen. Um, they are just there. Uh, kink is something that is a choice, um, and so is BDSM. But again, that doesn't make it any less valid. 
um, if somebody identifies with those communities, then, and, you know, and they also identify with the queer community, then they should be included. Um, now, for the people who are saying, oh, the kids don't need to see XYZ at a Pride March, and whose responsibility are those children? Their parents. And so if you feel like there's a child or children that you specifically don't want coming to Pride, then if you are a parent of th- that child or those children, you probably shouldn't bring them. Um, we can't, one, we can't police what other people do with their kids. If, like, I'm, and I'm sure those adults know that there are certain things that may happen at pride even without kink being present just people walking around scantily clothed people walking around with body paint whatever it might be and those are you know those are small things pride happens in june okay start of the summer people are not going to be walking around in snowsuits in the middle of june like you're going to see people you know in bathing suits or you know, in short shorts or whatever. That's how they express their pride. Leave them alone. Now, now you're policing. <laughs> you're policing people on the inside for, uh, from the outside. Like you're trying to make it an outside problem by using by by placing limits on the people inside. Because now you're saying, oh well, kids shouldn't be kids shouldn't be allowed to to see X Y Z. Okay, so then what are you saying? Are you saying that people who want to dress that way shouldn't be allowed to wear what they're wearing? Are you saying that people who want to bring their kids to Pride to foster that idea of inclusion, to foster their, you know, like, to foster that that inclusive atmosphere in their home, now they can't teach that valuable lesson because you're telling them they shouldn't bring their kids. Like, you, you can't have it both ways. Like, pick a side. Either you're going to be inclusive of everybody, and you're going to let the people who have children parent their children on their own, or you're going to say nobody can do what they want at Pride. It's one or the other. You can't have both. Um, you know, and, and then we get into gatekeeping, which I'm going to... I talk... I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it on another episode, but like, stop, (laughs) just stop. I hate people who gatekeep because with, with anything, not just with pride, with anything, I hate people who gatekeep because it's like, shut up. Just let people like, aside from people harming themselves or harming other people, shut up. Let people do like, just, just shut up. Like, stop talking because you're the whole reason that we even need pride and, and things like this in the first place and platforms to speak because there's always somebody like you, the gatekeeper, who is just, well, we can't and this isn't and da-da-da and shut up. Shut up. Like, everybody has the right to express whatever they're going to express the way they want to express it as long as they're not hurting themselves or hurting anyone else with whatever they're doing. It's that simple. If it doesn't affect you, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Um, like the whole idea of, you know, same-sex marriage. Shut up. It does nothing. If you're a heterosexual person and you are against same-sex marriage, you're an idiot. Because it has nothing to do with you. Somebody, like a woman marrying their wife, affects you in no way, shape, or form. A man marrying their husband affects you in no way, shape, or freaking form. Shut up. 
like you're just causing problems because you can and you're you're not useful so just be quiet (laughs) um so yeah so that are those are my brief takes on that um yeah so you know um i'm gonna close out this episode i think we've you know we've hit we've hit a nice place there so i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna close out this episode by saying um, if you need resources for the Alphabet Mafia, um, Google is a lovely place to start. Keyword, start. Um, nothing on Google should be taken as gospel either. Um, but that's a great place to start. I'm going to have a completely separate episode for all the LGBTQ plus resources because it there's so many. It does deserve its own episode for me to just kind of talk about them. Um, I will have things... On the website, though, just kind of like general resources, if people uh, want to go take a look or, you know, just to have a starting place, I will have some uh, some resources up there on the website. Um, but I'm not going to talk about them specifically in any episodes until that episode at the end where I discuss all of the resources that I have gathered. So if you have any resources that you want me to talk about or that you want me to look up, Please feel free to message them to me, comment them, however you choose to get it to me, uh, feel free to send it my way. Um, Also want to plug the Patreon again. Um, There is an offer up right now that is going to be up until like the beginning of August. Uh, If you become a patron, you will receive an exclusive logo sticker that was created by Calcified Crafts on Instagram. Um, she's tagged in some of the other posts on the, on the Instagram podcast that I, on the Instagram pod, on the podcast Instagram, uh, page. So if you want to go find her page, you can look at her other stuff, support her. She's a great person. Um, and she did really well with the stickers. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, definitely go check out the Patreon. Um, there's nine stickers left. Uh, so if you want one, go check it out. Um, as always, thank you guys for listening. Um, I know I kind of went in a little bit of a circle, um, and I did use my notes this time, so I'm not sure how that happened, but, (laughs) um, yeah, so, uh, stick around because next, well, stick around as in, like, for next week, um, so the next episode is gonna be, um, about my coming out story and about my identities specifically, um, so if you are game to know you know what my experience has been like in the queer community and what you know kind of led me there uh stick around for next week because that'll i'll be explained so i hope you guys are having a really great weekend and i'll catch you next week